Thank you to each one that participated in our service this morning. Uh, You're going to get a handout for our morning worship. This is not a new trend. Uh, I'm not going to be doing this each week, but I thought for this passage it would be helpful. Uh, If you come to Sunday school or evening service, you know that uh, it is a normative feature of mine to be using handouts, but uh, this morning we are in a difficult portion of Scripture, and I'm going to be looking at a lot of cross-references, so I thought it would be easiest to stay with me if you had the material in front of you and didn't have to be uh, flipping through your Bibles. If you're not used to doing these handouts, I basically read through them and ask that you stay with me and don't uh, read ahead and so on, or you're going to not be on the same page I am literally and figuratively. So, All right, I appreciate the rapidity with which these have been distributed. If you need a handout, would you raise your hand? I think everybody's got one, but raise your hand if you need one. All right, we're looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 22, the cursing of the fig tree. I'm back into Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew verse by verse. Uh, I must admit, I was tempted to jump over this, but uh, being committed to expository preaching, I know that every aspect of God's word is significant, it's important, it's valuable. And uh, so uh, we're just continuing on looking at verses 18 to 22. Again, the cursing of the fig tree. This morning we have a very unusual passage. It's unusual, I think, in two particular veins. First, because it puts Jesus in a very different light than what we normally see him. Here is Jesus coming to this fig tree, has no figs, and he curses a fig tree. Why in the world would Jesus do that? It almost seems capricious at uh, the beginning here, and uh, rather self-serving. So what is going on? The second reason why this passage is unusual is because it's very difficult to understand uh, at face value. I have here, it is important that the Word of God is always kept in context. The immediate context and the larger context. And the larger context is the entire Word of God. So whenever you study a passage, it has to make sense within its immediate context. And then it has to make sense in the entirety of what the Word of God teaches. So the understanding of any one given passage must fit into the larger understanding of the Bible in its entirety. As we look at this passage, we have a better understanding of why so much of what Jesus said and did was a mystery to the apostles. If all you had was this incident to go on, I think we would be where the apostles are and kind of scratching their head and wondering what it is that Jesus is doing and why is he doing it. It gives us a better appreciation for why the apostles did not understand so much of what Jesus taught and did in his earthly ministry. They didn't have the benefit of being able to put together other portions of scripture to shed light on this particular instance we do. So this morning we look at a passage of scripture where considered in isolation is an enigma. 
On its own, the passage is quite difficult to apply. Here we see the importance of informing theology, how other portions of Scripture add pieces to the puzzle to reveal a more complete picture of what is being portrayed. Some of the pieces are obscure in themselves, but when taken together, a much clearer picture emerges. Now I have a quotation from Stuart K. Weber, Holman New Testament Commentary. I quote, In the preceding passage, the king had pronounced judgment on Israel and its leaders for their idolatrous behavior. Matthew 21, 12 to 13. With a fig tree, Jesus acted out a parable or mini-drama to illustrate the reality of Israel's fruitlessness and its doom. Just as the leaves of the fig tree advertised fruit, so the Jewish leaders claimed to be fulfilling God's purpose. However, the advertising was a lie. All right. So the passage is a lesson concerning judgment. That's key. All right. The passage is a lesson concerning judgment. It is the only destructive miracle performed by Jesus. Over the Christmas holidays, I stressed that Jesus came into the world not in order to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. I mentioned that the gospel is good news to every single human being, for it is an olive branch that is extended to all who would like to be a part of God's kingdom. How they can experience forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God and live with him on this earth forever and ever and ever. I mentioned that there was not a single person who died as a result of Christ coming into the world. But I also emphasized that his second coming is going to be quite different than his first. For at his second coming... He becomes judgment, and he is going to enforce his righteous and holy rule. Now, it's just a few days prior to the crucifixion, and Jesus performs one single miracle performed upon a tree, not a human being, to illustrate a future coming judgment upon mankind and the entire world. All right. We have a real shift in the last few days of Christ's ministry. Now he's going to talk about judgment in a way in which he hasn't talked about it before. Much more clarity, much more somberness, much more reality that judgment is what comes next. When Christ returns, there is going to be judgment. So this is a miracle of Judgment, the only such miracle that Jesus performs in his earthly ministry. Theme, lessons from the cursing of the fig tree that are to be learned concerning the future judgment of mere professors of faith. So these are lessons concerning judgment. Number one, those who profess allegiance to God but do not have true faith will experience judgment. The profession of faith or allegiance to God is seen by the tree having leaves. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, that he is Jesus. And seeing a tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. So here is a tree standing there, and it is full of 
leaves. The significance of the leaves are that when a fig tree had leaves, it meant that it was time for it to bear fruit. Leaves and fruit went hand in hand. You saw a tree with leaves, you would expect to see fruit, for they went hand in hand. The lack of faith is seen in the tree having no figs or fruit, and found nothing on it but only leaves. All right, so this corresponds to the Pharisees, who professed faith in God, but did not have the fruit, if you will, did not have the figs, did not have the life that was in keeping with the true profession of faith. So here is a parable teaching us about, not a parable, but here is a miracle that teaches us about the reality of there are many who profess faith in Christ, but do not have a life that is consistent with that profession. Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Number two, B, the lack of faith is seen in the tree having no fig or fruit, found nothing on it but only leaves. The destruction results from judgment will be permanent. Matthew 21, 19, And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves only. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. So this is a complete and permanent judgment. Once judgment occurs, destruction will be swift. End of verse 19. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, God is long-suffering in his judgment as seen in the parable regarding the fig tree. Now, this is different, okay? This is a parable. But we're going to find out that fig trees are a, some, a, a common source of teaching by Jesus and by the Old Testament. In fact, I didn't have time to look at all the references to fig trees in the scriptures, etc., but there is a commonality. There is a way in which these, these parables and the way in which the metaphor, the imagery of the fig tree is used in a consistent pattern and fashion in the Word of God. And that's what I want to show you this morning. So God is long-suffering in his judgment as seen in the parable regarding the fig tree. That's found in Luke chapter 13 and following. In this parable, a man came to the fig tree looking to find fruit and he did not find any fruit on it. He told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none, just as Jesus came to this tree and found no fruit on it. However, in this particular instance, there's no, message, no mention about leaves. The man waited for a period of time for fruit to come. He said to the vine dresser, look, For three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Is there any parallel here to the three earthly years of Christ's ministry? I don't know. You could just be talking about three years. But nonetheless, he's been coming for three years looking for fruit, has found none. The man speaks of a time for judgment. And And he answered him, sir...
<clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, go back to the bottom of page three. On page three, under number two. The end of verse, 30, end of verse seven, it says, Cut it down. Why should it rise up? Why should it use up the ground? So he speaks about a coming judgment. And he answered him, Sir, let alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. If the tree does not bear fruit, then it will indeed experience judgment. Then it should, be, then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good, but if not, you cut it down. All that to say that there is a period of time for people to repent, for people to come to faith, all right? That's taught throughout the word of God. In this particular instance, you see, it's talking about judgment in the final day. There's going to come a time in which there's no longer pruning, there's no longer placing fertilizer around it, there's no longer a time for repentance, but rather a time for judgment. So in our passage, the time for judgment has symbolically arrived. When the time comes for judgment, the destruction will be swift. It will not be a long, lengthy process. Once it is time for judgment, it will be swift. The disciples wonder how this destruction could take place so powerfully. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? How did it just dry up? Normally it takes time for a healthy tree that has leaves to die. The tree loses its leaves, then it gradually deteriorates. But here is a picture of a tree that dried up all at once. Again, this is the first destructive miracle of Jesus. They, that is the apostles, had seen a withered hand miraculously restored. Mark 3, 1 and following. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might have to accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out, and his hand was restored. Now at the command of Jesus, the healthy fig tree was miraculously withered. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the tree wither at once? Just as the healing was instantaneous, Just as this man had a withered hand, same word, and was able to stretch it out and it was healed, now this tree is instantaneously going to wither and shrivel and die. So, a miracle in reverse, if you will. And the disciples ask, how was this possible? Verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Now, it's interesting that they would have marveled at that. When you think of all the positive 
examples that they have seen of God's of Jesus' power, even having raised Lazarus from the dead. They had seen tremendous displays of God's power. But remember, they had never seen a display of God's or Jesus' destructive power. They've never seen his power used in that manner. And it's kind of flabbergasting to them. But here's the biggest reason why you have the handout. The destruction of the nations is going to be even more amazing. What comes next is very significant. What relationship does faith and prayer have to do with the cursing of the fig tree? Verse 21, And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What in the world does that have to do with what we just saw? And how do we apply that to our existence, to our daily lives? What relationship is there in this passage. Number one, some commentators see no connection whatsoever. There should be quotes around this. This comes from Donald A. Hagner from the word biblical commentary. This is what he says. The pericope, that just means this section of verses, the pericope consists of two main parts. The prophetic sign, the cursing, that's the cursing of the fig tree, the cursing and withering of the fig tree, and the discussion about the power of faith that follows. The material of the first part bears no relation to the second part, except in providing the occasion for the disciples' question and the subsequent teaching about faith. So he says these are two totally unrelated things. Jesus curses the fig tree, and then he teaches about faith. Okay? I think that's the wrong way to understand this passage. I think that's going to take you down rabbit holes that are very, very uh, unfruitful, unhelpful, and in fact, misleading. I think that we've got to keep these two things together. The cursing of the fig tree, and then what Jesus teaches about faith. Again, that's why you have this handout to help explain that. B. Jesus is furnishing... Oh, let, me, let me do two, just to bring it up to date. However, I think there is a very important relationship to the cursing of the fig tree and the teaching concerning faith. The text itself furnishes the connection. All right? I wouldn't be so adamant if the, if the text didn't tell us that there was a relationship. Jesus is furnishing an answer to their question. Jesus answered them. Number one, Jesus teaches that the disciples will also do what Jesus had done to the fig tree. Notice verse 21. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree. You see, Jesus makes a connection. He's not just talking about faith. He says, what I have done to the fig tree, you will do to the fig tree. 
See that. You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. So what you did to the fig tree, you will be able to do to the mountain. It's what Jesus says. Number two. Oh, so therefore what Jesus is telling them is directly related to the activity of the fig tree. But even more, the disciples will participate in doing something even greater to the mountains that was done to the fig tree. Verse 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even, there's the greater part, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What was done to the fig tree is that it was destroyed by the command of Jesus. He said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. So, all the disciples will have to do is speak just as all that Jesus did was to speak and the nations will be destroyed. But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. See, they will command the mountain to be cast into the sea. Casting into the sea is a picture of judgment. I will prove to that, that to you in just a moment. The curse will be fulfilled. It will happen. E, why will this be even more amazing than what Jesus did to the fig tree? Answer, because of the seeming permanence and indestructibleness of the mountains. Notice again, verse 21. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will happen. Fig trees routinely wither and die. Mountains are not routinely cast into the sea. That's why it's greater. That's why it's more amazing. They say, Jesus, how did you do this? How did you make this tree wither all at once? Jesus says, you think that's something. Even you will not only did, do what I did to this fig tree, but you're going to say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and it's going to be cast into the sea. You're not only going to do what I did, you're going to do something even greater than what I just did. Again, we have to see, if you take these two incidents and try to separate them, now what happens is this just becomes hyperbole. This just becomes exaggeration. This, this just becomes an overstatement of what kinds of things faith can do. It doesn't really do that. It doesn't really move mountains and cast it into the sea. It begins to mean nothing. But if you keep it in the context... It means something. Number four, again, a future judgment is depicted in the book of Revelation by the same imagery of the fig tree and the mountain. Revelation 6, 12. When he, 
opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The fig tree is shaken and lost its fruit, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The mountains are removed in judgment. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And that no one will be spared from judgment, the rich and powerful and the lowly and poor will be judged alike. Revelation 6.15 Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free. Okay, So all classes of people and the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the powerful people are going to be judged. All, every, every one of them just like the slave, just like the free. You don't get off the hook by being inconsequential, whether you are of lowly stature, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, or if you are of great importance, you are a king, you're a general, you're a powerful individual. Number one. <clears throat> They will take refuge in the mountains as a place of safety. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Okay, So here is coming judgment. And they want to flee judgment. So they run to the mountains, they run to the caves for a place of safety. Okay, here's a place where I can't be harmed. Here is a place where I can't be hurt. I'm hid away in this cave in the mountain. I am secure. I am safe. So number two, they are seeking the mountains protection from judgment. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Okay. Now, a lot of this, of course, is metaphorical. But what it's to teach us is that there's going to come a time in which powerful people, indeed, are going to be judged. They're going to be judged. And even the mountains cannot protect them in the day of judgment. Number three, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And the answer is no one. No one can stand in this judgment. This judgment occurs with the prayers of the saints. Revelation 8, 3 and following. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. On the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Through faith in God, the disciples 
will do what Jesus had done and more. They'll receive power to share in the rule and the judgment of God. Okay. I stopped too early in the book of Revelation, chapter 8. And the point is that they are... uh, Look at the top of page 8, number 3. Top of page 8, number 3. Revelation 8, 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. That's what our text says. You will say to this mountain, and it will be thrown into the sea. I just showed that in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and following, it's in association with the prayers of the saints. The mountain is thrown into the sea. Going back to now page 10, C. Through faith in God, the disciples will do what Jesus had done and more. They will receive power to share in the rule and judgment of the nations and the entire world. Now notice what it says. When the disciples marveled, they, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, which is curse it, judge it, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We will share in the judging of the world and its powers. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? They are marveling at Jesus' judgment. They are marveling that this tree that has leaves but no figs is going to be cursed or damned by Jesus and it immediately dies. And they look at that and they say, how can that be? And Jesus says, this fig tree that I have just cursed, you're going to do likewise. But you're not only going to curse a fig tree, you're going to say to the mountains, be cast into the sea. There is going to be a day of judgment. And if we are people of faith, if we're not like the Pharisees, if we're not like this fig tree that doesn't have figs but only leaves, if we aren't just people of talk, if we are truly born again, if we truly have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, there's going to be a day of judgment where God is going to bring righteousness to this world. And all unrighteousness is going to be condemned. And we're going to share in that condemning process. We are going to be sitting on thrones. We are going to be ruling with Jesus. Our word is going to be authoritative in putting down all of 
irreligious rebellion and sinful evil. Jesus is teaching his disciples that day is coming. That day is coming. That day of judgment is real. It's real. So the conclusion. This is just a glimpse of the future judgment. It's just an acorn far from the tree. It is just a brief glimpse before Jesus dies. Jesus is showing his disciples that he has the power to put down any rebellion, any mischief, any ill will, any evil that is taking place before Jesus is going to the cross. He's showing his disciples that he has power over what's taking place. He knows the difference between those that are truly righteous and those that are not. He knows that Judas is not one of the true disciples. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He can discern. He can make the difference. This is a glimpse of future judgment. First, Jesus must die. Now the fig tree must be watered and pruned and fertilized. We're in that period of time in history. God is long-suffering. God is giving an opportunity for repentance. God is giving opportunity for the fig tree not just to have leaves, but to have figs. The time is future. The apostles will all die for their faith, except John, even as Christ died. So he's not saying to the disciples, you have faith in me and you will never die. No, not at all. Every one of the apostles died for their faith. We could argue about John, but he dies in exile on the island of Patmos. All the others are slain for their faith. But what Jesus is saying to them is not a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook. He's not making false promises. And he's also not saying, here's an opportunity for you every time you stand at bat, you can hit a home run if you just have enough faith. Or you can buy a brand new Cadillac if you just have enough faith. Or you can have anything you want if you just have enough faith. Jesus is saying to the disciples that we live in a sin-filled, ridden world. And you marvel because I have destroyed a fig tree. If you're a person of faith, you're going to say to the mountains, cast into the sea, and they're going to be destroyed. In the time of judgment, there is going to be no hiding. There is going to be no place of safety. There is going to be no security. There is going to be nowhere to run and hide from the judgment of God. And the amazing thing is that if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we participate in that judgment. We are instruments, not only of his grace, but when the time comes, instruments of his judgment. We rule over this sin-filled world. And when we pronounce that judgment, it will occur. Because we do so not on our authority, we do it in Jesus' authority. 
We do it not in our time frame. We do it in his time frame. When the time of judgment comes, it comes swiftly. It comes completely. It comes accurately. It comes like that word spoken to a fig tree. The judgment comes by word, by power. And he says to the disciples, if you have faith, you will do the same kind of things. For that is where we're headed. That's our end. That's our confidence. That's our hope. So the key this morning is, obviously, is your faith real? Is it genuine? Do you have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ? If you don't, don't be fooled in thinking that there is no judgment just because so far everything is fine. There is going to be a day of judgment. And if you don't know Christ, there'll be no place to hide. It won't, be matter, it won't matter if you're powerful. It won't matter if you're rich. It won't matter if you know the Bible inside and out. None of those things will matter. You'll be looking for a place to hide, and there's no place to hide. You can't get away from judgment once it happens. Once it happens. So the scripture says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you do know the Lord as your Savior, you can have confidence that you will not be the bearer of punishment, but you will actually participate in that judgment. You, this is part of God's justice. This is the part of that which has been done unto you now is going to be done unto those that did it to you. This is God's justice in the world. So we share in this process. I'm going to go to prayer. I'm just going to say to you this morning, I'm going to ask you, not did you ever make a profession of faith. I'm going to ask you to search your heart as to whether that profession was genuine. As to whether or not that profession is real. There are loads of people that think they're saved. And they're not. Sometimes people think just because they believe in God, they're not saved. They're saved. Obviously, that's not true. But there are people that have heard about Jesus. There are people that are familiar with the story. And maybe because they were pressured, or maybe because they were lonely or whatever, they prayed a prayer, but it had nothing to do with true repentance, had nothing to do with a real acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. And I need a life of righteousness before God. So I ask you this morning, do you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do, you have confidence. Confidence that when judgment comes, not only will you not receive judgment, but you will participate in administering that judgment. But if you don't know Jesus, you'll simply be a recipient of that judgment. So let us go to prayer this morning. Our Father, we ask for your grace for any who are gathered here this morning. We thank you for your long suffering. We thank you for the way in which
You have given us opportunities to repent. There are many here who have heard the gospel many, many, many times. And yet there may be someone here who, though they've heard the gospel many times, have never truly responded in faith, never really came to a place of acknowledging their sin, their rebellion, their need of forgiveness. And so I just simply ask this morning that, Lord, you would be pleased to work in people's hearts and minds. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that today would be that day in which they repent and they believe upon him for the forgiveness of sins, they might enjoy eternal life and righteousness with you. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to receive Christ? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to single you out, but I want to know you've made this profession. Anyone at all, please raise your hand high enough that I can see it. Our Father, I trust and hope that it is true that everyone here knows the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. Uh, Lord, I, I pray if not that you continue to strive and work with them. But Lord, give us the sense of confidence that we have. And to be amazed, not only that there's going to be judgment, but Lord, that we are going to participate in that judgment. That, that you are going to give us that kind of power to reign with you. Oh God, it's amazing. It's amazing what you are doing. Thank you, oh Father, that through by pe- being people of faith, that we move to a place of incurring judgment to bestowing judgment. Thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.